but Tony's worst moments are with Joan and Joan's worst moments are with Tony. Like this isn't even debatable. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, like quiet, like as ugly as it is, as quiet as it's kept. Like it's really, really bad. Like they were, they were, um, Issa and Molly before there was an Issa and Molly. <gasps> oh no, that's so accurate. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> everyone this is alex and this is m welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be discussing one of the most beloved modern Black sitcoms of all time, Girlfriends. Set in L.A., this series follows four Black women as they navigate their careers, dating and romance, and most importantly, their relationships with themselves and one another. Girlfriends was a refreshingly insightful, loving, and honest portrayal of what it means to be a Black woman in America and approached the issue from four very different lenses. So what do we think made Girlfriends so relatable? Stay tuned. everyone here are some critical details about girlfriends the series is classified as a sitcom although any viewer will agree that it delves very frequently into drama category it was created by mara brock akil and it was released from september 11th 2000 through february 11th 2008 um for the first six years, it aired on the UPN network, and then for the last two years, it aired on the CW for a total of eight seasons and 172 episodes. The series stars Tracy Ellis Ross as Joan Carol Clayton Esquire. She is the unofficial den mother of the friend group, and she is a successful attorney. Antoinette Marie Childs later Childs Garrett, better known as Tony. Um, we see her in seasons one through six. She is, quote, the cute one of the group. She is best friend to Joan since elementary school back in Fresno, California, and she later becomes the wife of Dr. Todd Garrett. Persia White as Lynn Ann Searcy. She is the bohemian of the group. She is Joan and Tony's roommate from college, UCLA. Uh, she is a biracial, transracial adoptee to a white family, a multidisciplinary artist, and then um, she is later. She later becomes a recording artist. Later in the series, Lynn is also diagnosed as having bipolar disorder, which is important uh, to understanding her character in retrospect. Golden Brooks as Maya Denise Wilkes. She is a wife and mother. She at, as was at one time Joan's assistant, then late, later William's assistant, and then um, towards the end of the series, she becomes a best-selling author. 
Reggie Hayes as William Jerome Dent Esquire. He is the women's closest male friend. He has a brief hookup and a marriage to Lynn, and then later he becomes Joan's boyfriend. Um, and then last but not least, he is married to Monica. He is a senior partner at Goldberg, Sweetelson, McDonald, and Lee. In season one, Flex Alexander, and then in seasons two through eight, Khalil Kane um, portray Darnell Leroy Wilkes, Maya's husband and father to her son. Keisha Sharp stars as Monica Charles Brooks, later Brooks Dent. In seasons three through eight, she is William's wife. And in the recurring characters, we have Tanner Scott Richards in seasons one through six, Kendra Barry in seasons seven through eight as Jabari Wilkes, Maya and Darnell's son. Charmin Lee as Jeanette Woods in seasons one through seven. She is Maya's mother. Lamont Johnson as Ronnie, Maya's cousin and hairstylist. He is the owner of Situations and Situations De. And uh, last but not least, Sean Harrison. You guys might remember him as Waldo on Family Matters. He is in Girlfriends as Peaches, Ronnie's boyfriend and later Joan's temp assistant when Maya begins working for William. These are all the characters that will play the biggest roles on this show, but trust and believe this show has a guest star list that is longer than your life. <laughs> so let me let me a- ask you something. Hmm. Did you know that Regina King was supposed to be Joan? I did not know that Regina King was supposed to be Joan, but like high key, I would have liked to seen that. I, I was about would've... to say if Regina King had been Joan, I probably would have liked Joan more. <laughs> right. I, and I also feel like Joan probably would have been written slightly different. Like, you know, things don't exist in the vacuum, right? When you have someone with Tracy Ellis's uh, skin tone, body type, the that's not going to not have an impact on how the writers view that actress and then how they write the character, right? Right. It has to be said as well that the 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 girlfriends girlfriend served as an unofficial prequel um for the game like there was a backdoor pilot for that series the game on one right. of the seasons of girlfriends right. um where uh melanie um the protagonist in the game for the first few seasons was joan's cousin um like all of these things, all of these decisions I think were made would have been made differently, handled differently, if you have a woman like Regina King in that role. I would have liked to see that. I, I would have liked actually. I would have liked to see Regina Hall even as Joan. Regina Hall as Joan could have been uh, a triumph. That would have been a vibe. I would have been <laughs> here for that. I would have been really here for that. Um, but yeah, Mara Brock Akil says that like Regina King at the, at the time was her muse and she wanted Regina King, but it didn't it just didn't work out. Baby, what were you doing? I'm going to look at what you know what she was the voice of Huey and Riley on the Boondocks for a long time. Maybe that's what she was doing. In that case, you know, all is forgiven, but otherwise there's nothing else that was more pressing. So. <laughs> um so let's get into season one of girlfriends season one of girlfriends was 22 episodes long almost all of the seasons of this show are really 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 long but you know that was the time that was that was the that was the vibe they were on and the the show being a sitcom didn't have like really really long episodes all the episodes had a running time of approximately 22 minutes so it's not like laborious (laughs) to watch 
Right. When we were talking, sort of talking earlier before we really got into the episode, I was saying the the show is um, it's Sex in the City in so many ways, and that's what uh, Mara Brock Akil has said as well. She's like, I Mara Brock Akil says, I remember watching Sex in the City, and they didn't even have black women as like extras, <laughs> and she was like, Well, I'm gonna get out here and get it. So thus, Girlfriends is born. It's also interesting. Girlfriends also the power that came behind it because famously it's like it says at the end like executive produced by Kelsey Grammer Mm -hmm. who is on I guess one of the most famous American sitcoms of all time uh, in television history Frasier and he talks about it and he says well and he said well a lot of people and it's actually I really like some because somebody finally asked him about it one day on Sway (laughs) <laughs> of all mm. places. Mm. Uh, <laughs> of all places. And he was saying that at the time, so Frasier, Frasier ended at like what? I don't remember. I think like 98.99 maybe? Yeah, 98.99. So he said at the time, like he said a lot of people in Hollywood had been talking about diversity and di- diversity and and being more, having more diverse leads and more diverse shows. And he had met Mara Brock Akil and he would be like, here's this really talented writer. Like, and he would champion her and like, people would be like, yeah, but like, they wouldn't want to do it essentially. You know, basically how it is exactly still now. (laughs) um, And he said, this is bullshit. So he leveraged his name and essentially all the clout that he got from Frasier and just put it behind her and got her show and got girlfriends and like the game to air. And that ladies and gentlemen is the proper utilization of your white privilege. There it is. There it is. I mean, true, true. So, so thus girlfriends is born and our, it's our, our black sex in the city and the archetypes are familiar and like, right. And it is in like, like Marsh said, it is she like Sex in the City was like the the defining inspiration. But these women are and the archetypes are noticeable, right? Mm-hmm. Like Joan is um Joan is like Carrie. Like Joan's probably the closest to Carrie, uh, in more ways than one, which we'll talk about. And um Lynn is probably the closest to Samantha. Maya it was probably Miranda. Yeah, it's probably the closest to Miranda with um, Charlotte and Tony sort of being matched up. But if you know anything about the Girlfriends or if you've watched the series, you know that, like, those these women still could not, except for Joan and Carrie, to be honest, these women couldn't really be farther apart from one another. They're all... Maya, Tony, Lynn, and Joan are very distinct and distinctly Black. Right. I think one of the things I love about girlfriends is that because the difference in their personalities and their socioeconomic backgrounds is so noticeable, it actually gives us legitimate reasons why these people would know each other. Right. Like Joan and Tony grew up together in Fresno. Like Joan was upper middle class and Tony was poor, but it's Fresno. And it was in, you know, the, the the part of town that was very, very small. So they went to the same school. And that's actually, that was actually a really common thing on the West Coast and in the South, where like really, really rich kids and really, really poor kids would be at the same school. 
Right. Um, so that makes sense. And then the two of them went to UCLA and they met Len, who was their roommate there. That also makes sense. Um, and it makes sense that, 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 um, you know, they would want to go to that school for various reasons. Lynn grew up in LA. Uh, Joan wants to be a lawyer. Uh, Tony wants just a better life. She wants to get away from her, her drama and her alcoholic mom. And then of course there's Maya who was a teen mom, got, had her child and got married as a teenager and, you know, is really just breaking into career now in her late twenties and she's working as Joan's assistant. All of these things make sense because if you don't give us this backstory, it does not make sense that these very different personality types would be friends. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about this. When the season opens, everyone's almost 30. We know Lynn's age. So we know that, uh, Joan and Tony, um, are also must also be the same age if they went to school and graduated at the same time, which is 27. Now, when I say graduated, I mean Joan and Tony. Lynn didn't graduate, even though she was on the dean's list when they were in school. She could never really pin down what it is that she wanted. So when the season opens, she's still a college student at 27. She's been in college nine years, y'all, um, <laughs> on and off. Um, and then there's Maya, who is you know in the workplace uh, seriously for the very first time because she had a child to raise. Um, she, her, her son Jabari is like nine or 10 at this point. And, um, she wants something of her own. And this causes the first real clash in her marriage because her husband Darnell, he likes the way things are. He wants her to be a stay at home mom and he wants to be the breadwinner and I put that loosely because they're kind of struggling financially, but he doesn't like the growth that he's seeing in Maya and it causes a lot of friction in these early seasons. Um, but everyone else besides Maya is single. Lynn likes that. Tony is content with it though. She's looking for her husband and Joan is very dissatisfied being unmarried at this age. Right. And I think, and Joan, like at the start, cause in the pilot, she like, I think she plops down at like on her couch at one point and she says, um, I'm like the only 31 year old in Los Angeles who blah, 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 blah. So I do know she is 31. Yeah. Um, that, I feel like that was a writing error. <laughs> um, like, a like a, a plot hole that didn't get patched up in time because yeah, um, Lynn is definitively 27 at the pilot. So I'm not really sure what the writers are going to do with that. I guess maybe they thought it was more relatable for Joan to be, um, 31 um but like, like i said i i when i rewatched the pilot it, she kept saying how she's almost 30 almost 30 so i'm not really sure why she said i'm the only 31 year old that's unmarried because then in later seasons they actually celebrate like the jones 30th birthday oh okay well then i don't know um, I don't know what, what why they did that. Why they probably did that? Because probably because twenty seven year olds are watching the show. Like, why are you complaining at twenty seven, sis? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. So you know how we talk about. Um, we've talked a lot on this this show about characters and protagonists and your 
protagonists being like villains and and all this, that, the third in between the construction of characters. And I would say Joan Clayton is definitively somebody that like the show tries to make the protagonist, but in reality is the actual villain. <laughs> Two things can be true. The protagonist can be your villain. Just look at Walter White. (laughs) (laughs) Like this, I feel like, and shout out to the pilot, which um, the pilot, I mean, the pilot sort of sets it up firmly. So if Sex in the City, I think we talked about how the Sex in the City pilot was very like moody Mm -hmm. and it, it's not really a comedy on its face. Like it's, they're like, they're comedic moments, but for the most, it's like a drama. Sex in the City is. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a dramedy. Mm-hmm. Girlfriends is set up to be like a true blue comedy. Like there are joke, there are tons of jokes every couple of seconds. There's like an ongoing laugh track. Like the show is like, this is a comedy. And I will say like that never changes. That will, I mean, well, actually, it's a lie. It'll change, like, season, I think, at season four, like, some of that, or, like, at really pivotal episodes, like, that will stop, and, -hmm. like, we'll have really serious, dramatic moments, but for the most part, it will always be this, like, laugh track type sitcom comedy. Um, I was really not shocked watching the pilot, but it was some shit to, like, watch this opening scene with, like, Maya and and Joan. And Maya says something about... Maya, I think the line is, Maya goes, why are you celebrating? You know you ain't got no man. And Joan is like, Maya, we've talked about this. And Maya, like, sits on her hip and is like... And she, like, clears her throat. <laughs> she, and she goes, clears her throat. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. You know you do not have a man. And then Joan, like, smiles, like, really pleased with herself. And I'm like, a villain. <laughs> it was interesting to me be- um, because I could tell, like, the pilot was them trying to get their foot in the door. Because this is one of those few shows that has a pilot that's considered episode zero. And then they have an episode one that's not the pilot. Like, in episode one, season one... um, it's when we're getting into Joan's birthday. She's about to be 29, but she's telling people she's 26. Um, in that original pilot, um, she was, I guess that's the, the episode where she was complaining about being 31, right? Yeah. But then they retroactively fixed it. And in season one, episode one, she's, she's 28 going on 29. Um, and it's one of those things where like, when we see these people, um, um, and in their 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 dynamics, I already knew from season one, episode one, that I was not gonna like Joan. <laughs> <laughs> like I already knew. I already knew. Already My first know. of all, first of all, why are you claiming to be twenty six? Like who does that serve? Because then you get a man, and you're gonna have to keep the lie up for the entire duration of your marriage, right? Right. Um, but also like. What are you trying 
what like what do you have to be ashamed about you're you went to a, one of the best schools in the country you're a successful attorney making good money she already owns her own home in season one this needs to be said i believe that joan is the only one of the group who owns her own home in that first season um yeah because i think tony tony rents that condo Right, right. Tony has a condo that she's renting. I mean, Tony makes good money too. I'm not saying that, but like all of the quote unquote like life hammers of like quote success. I graduated from college. I'm flourishing in my career. I have a home. She has all those things. Literally, the only thing she doesn't have that she wants is a husband and children. But it's like you're 29. How fast do you want to run this race? It's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. She and I mean she looks she's she looks great. She should just be sort of like, you know. I'm still kind of like, I'm, you know, be happy and hanging out and doing what she's doing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I guess, like, what I was trying to make with the point earlier and that, like, that little kind of, is like, Joan is just like, she's one of those. She's just, she's one of those, like, negresses. Like, she, she like, respectability politics is something that, like, she lives, eats, breathes, and, like, you know, worships by. Um, and she like has, like... characters do to some extent, except maybe Lynn. Hmm? I feel like all of the girls do to some extent, except maybe Lynn. No, because I think... Um, because when Maya gets married, uh, Joan is so, like, offend... Like, when yeah, when Maya gets married to Darnell... Maya's like really happy with her wedding and Tony is <laughs> strangely enough I guess cuz Tony comes from like a poor background Tony's like fine with it because like this is what she wants but it's Joan that like is so upset that Maya doesn't want to quote unquote better herself or like why don't you or she's just so offended that Maya isn't like heavily invested in the these sort of fake accoutrements that would make her seem like high, like of a higher class when Maya's perfectly happy with the ceremony that she planned and did and, and, and how it, how it's going. Right. And just to clarify for the audience, this is when Maya and Darnell get remarried later in the series. Um, uh, right. No, this, no, this is for like when Flex Alexander is still there. Right. But they were already married when the season, when the series opened. I guess I don't remember. I mean, you mean that ceremony they had? Yeah. Oh, right. All right. Okay. I understand. Yeah. They, they had like a, they had that like recommitment ceremony jazz. And yeah, yeah, I remember the way that Joan acted. It was ugly. It was really ugly. And Maya tried to explain that to her. She's like, listen, I was pregnant the first time we got married. It was a quick ordeal at a little courthouse, you know, um, I was too embarrassed to invite any family members. We didn't have any money. And, like, all of that makes sense to me. And it makes sense to anyone with, like, sense. <laughs> but it didn't make sense to Joan um, why this would be, like, a dream come true for Maya. Right. And she's like, yeah, Maya's like, this is my dream wedding. Like, and she's like, you're the only... And Maya made the express sort of... I mean, she calls it. She's like you're the one that, like, is judging it. Like, everybody else is fine. Like, William is here. Lynn is here. 
she's like even tony is here tony is here and they're and they're just here to celebrate me and what i'm doing in this in this apartment because like the the wedding or the or the commitment yeah the recommitment ceremony is like in maya's mom's house teeny tiny house they're in these the bridesmaids are wearing um in another context and honestly in this context as well these incredible like fuchsia like vinyl dresses <laughs> they actually look really great um uh and like their hair is done like in that classic sort of 90s like black girl with all the curls um that style that's actually super that's coming back super hard right now uh think um freak nick 1999 uh that's where all the girls' hairs are up. And it's this teeny tiny ceremony. You know, they have pigs in a blanket for, like, the reception. And Maya, Maya's mother made the dress, and her grandmother baked the cake, and she is so just full of joy. And Joan is like, but all this shit's tacky. And it's like, oh, Joan. Joan really knows how to come through at the worst time because in the beginning of the series it's very clear that Tony and Maya clash and the reason that they clash is that even though they come from similar backgrounds like both growing up poor although I think it's stated heavily that Tony grew up even poorer than Maya right but even though they both grew up poor Tony aspires to wealth and Maya only aspires to financial stability right and and so you you would think that if anyone's going to have a problem with this or look down their nose at it, it would be Tony, right? But Joan has a way of showing her true colors at literally the worst times for the duration of the series. And we're going to talk about this. Yes, it happens. <laughs> it happens over and over and over again. Over and, and was- over with different people, with all of her girlfriends, with associates, with her partners. Ooh, with her partners. So let's talk oh about- Oh my God. The reign of terror that is Jane, uh, that is Joan's boyfriend. Oh my God. And like Joan with these boyfriends. It's the worst. Okay, so season one, episode one, you guys. Tony is dating an ex of Joan's named Charles, who she wasn't really messing with on that level because Charles, um, A, had a fetish for toe sucking and B, wasn't ready to settle down. Now, though, she learned through the grapevine that after the years between their between their relationship that Charles is ready to settle down and now she's mad. But sweetie, he's no longer with you. He'll get ready when he gets ready, right? Like, what's the problem? And Tony, Tony's not even wanting Charles on that level. Tony's not trying to settle down and be Charles's wife either. She's just here for a good time with him. Right. She's she's here for what Tony's always here for, which is like men buying her expensive gifts. Right. She's like, I'll know my husband when I see him. Until then, I if you pay, I will take. If you're giving, I'm taking. Period. Right. Um, so, um, and because of, of Joan's hangups, like, she meets a guy. She'll literally just have met this guy and already projecting this desire of marriage onto him. Like, not even talking to him about, like, hey, like, what are you looking for in this relationship? But, like, straight up planning their futures together. Um, like, just planning their lives together. Right. And then if they're... And then, not only that, but, like, if she'll just plan it, like, herself in her head, and if 
there's something that goes not the exact way she conceived of it executing, then she totally, like, unravels and falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the Ballad of Joan. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. brings us to, I guess, the, the boy, like, Joan's boyfriend of the first season, uh, who was Sean, the first main boyfriend. Right, right, right. <sighs> Sean, here's the thing about Joan's boyfriends. Most of them are not terrible. In fact, um, there's the ones, the ones that are terrible pretty much show that right out the gate, right? And the rest of them are are decent. They're just not what she's looking for right now. But rather than leave early, like dip out early, like I'm not going to get what I'm looking for here. She projects, she has all these expectations that are completely opposite to what they've told her. And then she gets frustrated in the situation because she couldn't change them. Right. Um, and, and that's, and that's definitely what happens here. So we meet Sean and Joan is dating him and it's all, uh, it's all good, good and well. And till she finds out that Sean is in recovery for, um, like a sexual compulsion, like disorder. Yeah, she's like, oh my god, he's a sex addict? I can't do this. Um, Yeah, so obviously this brings issues into the relationship. Um, And then those issues are compounded later when he has to go out of town for Valentine's Day. Remember that episode? Yes! Oh my god. And And she she cannot get in touch with him, and she starts freaking out she yeah like she she calls him and he doesn't call her back or she just can't get in touch with him and so she completely falls apart and then she cheats on him like ready to leave the state leave the city with another man right davis who she had gone on a date with in early in the season but he had a fiance um uh, he tells Joan that he wants to be with her. And she's just like, Sean, who? Right. She's like, like, what are you, what are you even doing? And, um, she, she just proceeds to, uh, she proceeds to just really muck it up. <laughs> she does. Um, but she does, she does retain her relationship with Sean and she has a three-month rule. She doesn't sleep with guys within the first 90 days. And that's fine. But she waves her rule for Sean. And the reason she does this is kind of like cry for help. It's not because, oh, I'm feeling the vibe. I like him so much. Um, you know, rules are meant to be broken type situation. It's like, he's a sex addict. If I don't sleep with him, he's absolutely going to cheat on me. That's the worst reason to sleep with anybody, you guys. Right. It's and then and I mean, Sean makes a really good point about how like her three month rule is even about like her. It's like about her being able to exert control over any partner, which I like I was like, mm, I can see that. <laughs> like, um, but also I will say that this I'll say the characterization of Sean is, like, kind of strange to me. Because at first he seemed, like, 
he seems to take like his like I don't want to say sobriety, but like his sort of recovery like really seriously. Mm-hmm. And then they then they characterize him as just like not, which is weird to me. Yeah, it is really weird, but I think that was the show's way of trying to distance us from Sean and get rid of the character. Yeah. Because when she does sleep with Sean, it's disappointing because although he has a sex sex addiction, he is really bad at sex. Really bad. Yeah, he's Which he's is bad also very weird. Doesn't practice make you better? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's really weird. And, you know, the situation with Sean quickly comes to an end. Meanwhile, with the other girls in season one, Maya and Darnell feel like they're ready to have a second child. Like I said, they were teen parents. They're in their late 20s now. And they feel like they are in a place where they can finally have a second child and quote unquote do things at the right time. Right. But they're having trouble conceiving. Lynn has applied for yet another grad grad school program. Honestly, Tony's just living her best life. But in this first season, um, we actually see what is going a situation that's going to exacerbate and culminate in season six. And that's a deterioration of Joan and Tony. They're the oldest friends on the show. They're the best friends. But in this season, in season one, Maya gets all the girls into the club and some guy waves at Tony and another girl like gets upset about it and they get into an argument and they come to blows and Maya and Lynn don't hesitate to come to Tony's aid, but Joan does not. Right. Um, which is like, it's kind of weird. Like hell, even Maya tried to help her, but like, so the whole thing was weird. It was very, very sketch. That that's literally the whole point of going out to your girlfriend with club to 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 to, to the club with your girlfriends. You know you are going to watch each other's back and you're going to watch each other's drinks and no one goes to the bathroom alone. I feel like these are the unspoken rules, right? And like you make sure everyone has a ride if they're if you're not coming back home together. These are the unspoken rules. Am I wrong? No, you're wrong. And it and it all culminates in this season one Jamaica trip in where we find out that, like, Joan did something really nasty to Tony because Tony had been dating Greg, right? Mm-hmm. And Joan was instrumental in Tony and Greg's breakup. Right. She's the one who had told Greg about Tony's engagement to Clay. So Tony had gotten engaged his first season to Clay, but she was cheating on him with Greg, who, for like, and Tony's not a romantic in the traditional sense, but she speaks of Greg as kind of like the one who got away. Mm-hmm. And because of this, Tony loses both Clay and Greg. Now, mind you, I'm not an advocate of cheating and I don't condone cheating, but like, you're not Greg's friend and you're not Clay's friend either. You really have no horse in this race. So why did you say anything? Right. That always gets me too. I'm like, what, what, like, how did, like, what did you get from outing her to them? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, as the best friend, you know, that shit's going to blow up, but your job is to let it blow up on its own <laughs> right right like i like honestly and i'm not i'm not friend too i'm not gonna be i'm not i'm not gonna say anything but i'm not gonna be an alibi for you but i'm not gonna turn you in either <laughs> <laughs> so 
again, and this is all this is all a manifestation of Joan's failures in her relationship, right? Because she knows that, like, high key, she was cheating on Sean with Davis, right? Right. Like they, it ne- I don't think it ever progressed to sex, but they did kiss. They made out. There was a whole emotional affair component to it. So I think she was was ratting on Tony, not even to hurt Tony, but to clear her conscience and to say that she was doing the right thing, even though it was conveniently the right thing that wouldn't have any blowback on her. <laughs> right. Um, so, and she does these things. She does, she puts herself on these moral high grounds. Like, you know, you have your own, uh, dirty laundry to clean up. You're way too invested in what Tony's doing. Right. And it's like, why? And like you said, this will be like their thing. It's like, Joan has to, and granted, like, I don't think that I will, I will say that like Joan and Tony are just not good friends, are not good friends to each other, but Tony is just, like, Tony's uh, just sort of self-absorbed, whereas Joan, like, takes actions to fuck up Tony's shit. (laughs) Like, intentionally. Right. And you'll notice, too, when Tony is being a bad friend, it's not even a matter of her being self-absorbed. It will literally be a reaction, a response. Like, Joan did this, so I need to get her back. I need to one-up and make it worse. Um, season one, for example, the end of season one, after she finds out what Joan did, she goes right back home and tries to seduce Joan's boyfriend, Sean. A thought that literally had never entered her mind prior to this. But she's right. like, oh, you want to ruin my life? I'm going to take it up a notch. Was that necessary? No. Was that called for? No. Was it the right thing to do? No. But we can we can literally trace her behavior back to you push me to this. Um which is not condoning it because like you said, they are bad friends to each other. These are personality types that simply don't work well together. You'll notice for the duration of the series that like Aunt Maya Tony and Lynn have a pretty stable relationship and for the most part Joan uh Lynn and Maya but Joan and Tony there's so much friction there especially as Tony's life and Tony's relationship gets better and Joan feels like hers is stagnant the real ugliness of that relationship comes out yeah so season one ends like we said it all everything culminates in this big Jamaica trip where um Joan not Joan, Tony learns the truth about what Joan did in Jamaica. And um, William comes to Jamaica to propose to Yvonne. And and that's how we end season one. Season one, good, bad, or basic? I thought season one was actually quite good. It was like, besides that pilot, aka episode zero, I feel like everything was very streamlined, very cohesive. The writers knew where they were going and where they were trying to lead us. So I'm going to give it a very good. What about you? Yeah, you know, season one is... Um, I'll give it, like, a good. A good for, like, in, term, in, the, in terms of, like, I think the show... It, yeah, the show knows what it wants to do. It knows what it wants to be. I think it's very clear about where it's going. Um, there are some problems, uh, in that, like, there's a lot of, like, weird queer phobia in a lot of the episodes, uh, like, lots of, and, but that'll be, like, a hallmark of the series. Anything that tries to reach for 
trying to understand queer people or like queer relationships will always like fall flat on its face. It's very reductive. Um, but other than that, I will give it a good. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is like Sex in the City in, in in no way more than I think the queer phobia. The 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 Ronnie and Peaches characters definitely are like Carrie and Charlotte's gay best friends on Sex in the City, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think the way and it, and just like Sex in the City, like they don't have the um the range to just talk about queer issues like or people who present differently or people who might not who might be non-binary uh they don't have the just like sex in the city they don't have the range um and they're not and it's just and instead of like being really serious and like interrogating our like hetero like hetero biases against like queerness it's just there to be like fodder for the episode if that makes sense yeah absolutely it makes sense um, so let's jump into season two yeah season, season two, two is another 22 episode and it picks up right where season one left off um joan forgives tony um for trying to seduce sean for slapping her. Maya and Lynn don't agree with this. They both feel like Tony was in the wrong and Tony brought all of this onto herself um, because she cheated on these men. And that's definitely, there's definitely credence to this theory. Like Tony put, put the wheels into motion, so to speak. And she's so stressed out that she starts seeing a therapist and her therapist suggests that she cut Tony out of her life. Um, you know, and again, like we both said, they're bad friends to each other. Um, for some reason, they bring out the worst in each other. Um, but Tony's worst moments are with Joan and Joan's worst moments are with Tony. Like, this isn't even debatable. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, like quiet, like as ugly as it is, as quiet as it's kept. Like, it's really, really bad. Like, they were, they were, um, Issa and Molly before there was an Issa and Molly. (gasps) Oh, no, that's so accurate. Oh, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) They really, really were. Like, they were doing the frenemy, who, frenemies who didn't even know they were frenemies before Issa. Oh, my God, that, no, that hurts my, that hurts me. Oh, no, take it back oh no because i want you and molly to work it out oh my god i'm on the I want floor and molly to work it out too but you know what there's something to be said for why they can't they can't stand each other when their lives are up but they always gravitate back to each other when their lives are shit that's a problem <laughs> i am in a glass case of emotion <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. So let's jump into season two. Season two, Flex Alexander is no longer portraying Darnell because he is in the lead role on One on One. We've already talked about that in the throwback season. Get into it. Uh, Khalil Kane is playing Darnell. And I'll be honest with you, Flex Alexander is a beautiful man. But Khalil Kane, he's got the range, baby. (laughs) I will say that. That's true. You know, it's true. Like, uh, quiet as it's kept, ugly as it is. Um... Like, it's crazy how, because Flex Alexander is fine, whatever, but 
Khalil Kane definitely brings a more grounded, um, serious, and and richer Darnell to the forefront. Right, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they start utilizing Darnell more. I, same. I, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Yeah. I but agree. So Darnell was never a fan of Joan. He thought that Joan was very bougie. He thought that Joan was very sedity. He thought that Joan was changing Maya um, and who Maya was as a person. And this is still an issue in season two. The first is when Maya goes to get a bikini wax. She's never got a bikini wax before. You know, shout out to Darnell and all the men that don't require a bear pussy on a grown woman. You're the real heroes. <laughs> what? He doesn't like it. And he thinks this is Joan's influence once again when Maya goes to get her bikini wax. Like, it's her body. She's allowed to shave off her pussy hair, wax it off if she wants to, but he's not feeling it. And this causes yet more tension between him and Joan. He's never flat out said he doesn't like her, but it's very clear that he doesn't. She knows it. He knows it. And But they they, they keep things more or less civil because of on Maya's behalf. But this actually exacerbates... I believe it's this season when she starts having an emotional affair with one of the lawyers. Yes. Yes. It is. Um, you know, uh, she starts spending more money, which upsets, which upsets, um, uh, um, uh, Darnell more and more. And this culminates when Darnell goes to Joan because he wants to get Maya a gift. And she suggests a specific watch that Maya has had her eye on. But then the guy that Maya's having an emotional affair with, he buys Maya the watch. And in using Joan as her alibi, Maya says that Joan bought her the watch as a thank you gift, which obviously looks bad. She doesn't know about Joan and Darnell's conversation and that Darnell wanted to get her the watch. But now it looks like Joan is actively sabotaging Maya's husband. Right, uh, right. It just, like like you said, it looks funny in the light. And it's interesting, this emotional affair that Maya starts up in the second season is from, like, a very... It's just from a... I just get it. I, I don't know. I just get it. Um, Darnell is... You know, Maya... Like you said, Maya does not aspire to wealth. But she does aspire, but she aspires to financial stability and she does aspire to some like a, a greater calling. There is a conversation that Maya has with Joan um, either this season or I think somewhere in this season where she's like, you know, you are either this season or the next season. But she goes, Joan, like you have a career. You're a lawyer. Tony has a career. And she's like, hell, even Lynn looks like she might have found herself a career. And this is when Lynn starts to do, like, the documentary work. She's like, I just have a job. I'm just doing this. I would like to have something of my own. Mm -hmm. Something that fulfills me and that I can, and that fulfills other people something you know good that I'm sharing something and and right and that's something that we've all that's very it's a very universal thing a very universal feeling and part of this affair is like born out of that it's so it's so clear you know in Darnell but Darnell is just sort of happy with the way things are he doesn't necessarily want things to change 
um, to the point where he wrongfully, like, has been sort of inhibiting Maya's, you know, growth. And that's where this affair is born out of. It's it's born out of Maya trying to realize herself as the person, misguidedly, but, like, trying to realize herself as the person that, that lives in her head fully, right. in, a, in a way. Um, and it's really beautiful writing in that way. Uh, because it hits on in the way that it hits on um, character desire. Right. I think it also needs to be said, you know, focusing more on Darnell as well. Darnell isn't supportive of Maya. He's not actively stopping her from working and going to school. But he's not actually supporting her either. Like, um, he makes so many backhanded comments and passive aggressive statements. And it's very clear that when it comes to bettering herself and like you said, carving out something for herself, she's pretty much on her own. Right. Yeah. And this guy's speaking life into her. He's building her up. He's saying all the things that her husband should be saying. (laughs) Right. And, and also like, he's giving her that attention that Darnell just like, isn't anymore. And it's interesting. There's, there's an episode and it's so clear. There's an episode where they're all out at this like high end consignment store. Mm-hmm. And um, shout out to those high end consignment stores. One day I'll be able to buy the things inside of you. <laughs> she go. They go to this high end consignment store, and there's this dress, and she tries on this dress for three hundred dollars, and yeah, the dress for it costs like 300 300 or $400 or something. And, you know, but they're all telling her it looks good on her. Now, I don't know why Joan just doesn't buy... Joan... I understand why Tony doesn't buy the dress. Because it's Tony. But, like, you know that, like, she doesn't have the money. She looks good in the dress. Like, the dress is going to make her feel better. You know your friends have been having a downtime. Don't you just buy the dress for your friend? Right. I would do that. I would do that for you. I would just buy you the dress. Same, same. Just buy your... Here's the thing. It's not like Maya is a user. Maya's never asked Joan for money or for any type of loan or any type of investment. Um, You know, um, she's not that person who only comes out with you because she expects to be treated, right? right? If they have that type of dynamic, I could understand. But, like, I don't see the problem with cheating your friend you're her boss you know exactly how much money she makes she makes right anyway maya buys they but they all tell her she looks good in the dress and then maya buys the dress and um when maya buys the dress it's it's a fight it's like you know she comes home she tries on the dress for darnell and instead of him being like my wife treated herself to something nice and I'll just make it work. You know, mm-hmm. there it's, it's a fight before he can get to that place. And right. like, he like, and like to his Darnell's credit, he eventually gets there. But the fact that they have to have this, this really bad fight, this really, really bad fight. And, um, and then they have this bad fight and to the point where she takes back the dress 
which she can't even get the money back for. She has to use her her creative quick thinking skills and sell the store credit, right? She sells mm-hmm. the store credit back to another customer to recoup her loss. Then they like, but the fact that all, it it's just indicative of, of their problems and indicative of, of Darnell of why she has this affair and, and why they're having these problems in their marriage. Maya is my favorite color for myriad reasons, but because, but, but the way that she's written and the way that her marriage, her motherhood, her career is written is so many women of all races who have come before her, right? So many of our forefathers, grandfathers, great grandfathers thought they had a great marriage, but the great marriage hinged on the woman in their life, never being allowed to be anything more than a mother and wife. Had she expressed any other desire, that there would have been problems, right? If he was not the breadwinner, you know, uh, giving her an allowance, and there there were and still are wives who are literally given an allowance from their husbands, um, then he doesn't like it. If she has her own money to spend, he doesn't like it. If she has her own career to focus on, he doesn't like it. And Darnell, for a lot of the series, is one of these men. He needs to be actually like you said the fact that these conversations need to be had he needs to be taught that maya wants things and it's okay for her to want things <laughs> for herself right. just because she wants things just because she's doing is not a reflection on you nor does it mean she's going to leave you it's just none of it's about you right um or maybe it is about you um like, right and the fact that because of you and this life with you, she's kind of been pigeonholed. Right. I guess I meant like not about you in that it's, I think there is a version of, of Maya and Darnell of, had Darnell been truly supportive because at this point, Darnell is also just, I think he's just a mechanic at a shop. I think Um, it's not until after Maya and him break up that he even thinks to, start his own auto body shop and, and become a business owner. Um, there, I, I was just saying there's a version of Maya and Darnell where if Darnell had just been super supportive and was like, yeah, babe, go back to school, find that thing that you want to do. Like I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to support you and everything that Maya still becomes this successful writer and becomes the breadwinner and is very happy and, she stays and and that's it. She's just really happy and she becomes a breadwinner and she never leaves Darnell. She never cheats and she stays with him and she's very happy with their life. Not like, right. whereas I think that a lot of what Darnell does and, and men like Darnell, they like, they're not supportive out of fear that like, oh, she's going to leave me if she gets better. Like, girl, right. she's better. She's going to want better. Right, and girl, it's like, listen, it's like, you know, I don't understand it, but a lot of these women are happy with y'all. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. It's kept, it's men who do the thing that he's afraid of, where, like, they get a little bit more money, they get further along in their career, and then they want, like, an upgrade girl. <laughs> right, like, it's men do that. that. Men really, women really don't do that. Like, there are women really, like, like, uh, you know, um, you know, 
making the bacon, frying it up too, keeping the house clean. Like her man just literally just exists as a man. (laughs) (laughs) That's all he does. But um, yeah, that's like Maya and and Darnell's story. Eventually things reach ahead. And, uh, you know, uh, they break up. Uh, Darnell can't deal with this and he leaves her. Um, season well, he two- finds out about the the emotional affair, yeah. Yeah, he finds out about that affair, and he leaves her. Yeah, I don't mean come to a head like 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 Maya sleeps with this man. That never, that actually never happens. No. Um, this season we celebrate Joan's thirtieth birthday. Um, uh, Tony, who was still with Greg, has a breakdown when he cheats on her, and uh, Yvonne, uh, William's girlfriend finally leaves the police force because he was always worried about her um doing that that sort of work but these are like our major things in season two joan is still dealing with sean like i don't know why she's still sticking it out with Sean. that's that's definitely a desperation relationship you know that dude that you just pick up because you're lonely and you're afraid of being lonely that was sean for her and it's ridiculous because sean goes to new york right so sean goes to new york and in the interim, and he and Sean is like, well, let's just, you know, be chill while we're while we're long distance. And in the interim, she meets Chris, played by uh, our favorite, um, Ron Rialco Lee, and who is so young, by the way. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know the baby. He, I know his face. He's such a baby, and. Um, she meets and Chris is so great for her. Chris is actually the perfect person for her at this point in her life. He's really young. He can fuck like a freight train. He like, he just does all the fun shit. He helps her be super fun. It's never that deep. And she just like, and once again, Joan, she's just like, (laughs) she can't, she just can't be happy. And this is the key difference between Joan and Carrie, because Carrie would have just lived it up until Joan, until Big came back to fuck up her life, right? <laughs> like, but Joan can't do that. Joan's like, what about marriage and base? And that's fine, but you knew that going in, so why did you mess with him in the first place? Chris is actually the perfect man for Lynn. Quietus is kept. And a good rebound for Maya, too, uh, if, they, if they had wanted him to be that. But no, they pair him with Joan. Stick in the mud, Joan, who <laughs> like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on Joan. I'm really not. But Joan literally knows with almost every single man she's ever been with that this was not going to end well. And she just kept pushing it, hoping that that man would change his mind. Why? Why? Right? Like, why? Why? I don't understand it. Um... Uh, this season, William also gets engaged to Yvonne, but he gets cold feet and that does not happen. Like after all the chasing, um, and all that stuff, like he gets cold feet. Then he suggests that they have a prenuptial agreement, which she's fine. Um, and I think it's obvious from his reaction to her response that he was hoping she would be upset. And he could use the, she didn't want to sign a prenuptial as an excuse to break things off, right? Right. I mean, they get all the way to the wedding and Yvonne just, but this doesn't happen this season. Um, I don't think. 
No, this, they is, do- this all happens in season two. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, they get all the way to the wedding, and um, and Yvonne leaves him at the altar. Right, because, listen, that man was looking for exits left and right. If she didn't leave him, she he would have left her eventually, and I think she saw that. Um, but but also, like, I think Yvonne's reasons for, for leaving him at the altar, I, I really appreciated them because they were all about her. She was like, you know, I've changed myself a lot for you, and I don't think it's worth it. Right. Because, like, imagine going through those hoops for a man who can't even, who's not even really sure if he wants to commit to you, right? Right. Who, like, you know, and she brings us up uh, very smartly. She goes... I haven't even met your mother. I've never met your mother. I have no idea who that woman is. And Which is goes, crazy because William's a mama's boy, right? Right. And like, very proud of the fact that him and his mom are super close. They talk every day. Right. So why hasn't she met your mom? So why hasn't she met your mom? <laughs> and I'm happy for her, honestly. And I, I mean, it's sad because Yvonne will be the best and the best girlfriend that William ever has. Because then we have to be subjected to Monica later. Uh, in the series, who, oh my god. Loki um, and Monica Stan, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. She's not the best woman that William's ever had, but she's exactly what he deserves. Oh no! <laughs> we're okay. going to talk about it. <laughs> we're going to oh, talk about it. And I think that, I hate that because, like, people really, so, like, a lot of people really hate the William character, and I don't. <laughs> I love the William character. I think he's so funny. William is a great friend, but William's not a great boyfriend. And the show shows this consistently. He wants the women who don't want him. And when a woman treats him well and is down for him, he just starts trying to punch holes in the relationship, like he did with Yvonne. He, he, <laughs> right. he went the distance with Monica because Monica's really mean. And apparently that's what it takes to get him to be a proper husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Monica's really mean, but like I'm not gonna lie, Keisha Sharp had that drip. There was something about Monica that was so magnetic. I can completely understand why William was so attracted to her. It's that like it's it's definitely like a mix of like her voice and her attitude. Like right. her voice is very hypnotizing to me, like in a way. I will say she's that. She's giving me a little bit of Tony, the Tony that's on the show. She's also giving me a little bit of Diane Carroll circa dynasty. I think that's it. It's definitely, there's a lot of Diane Carroll dynasty and energy. I will say that. Throwing um, some, ele- she, w- she was Electra Abundance too before Electra Abundance insofar as like the bougie sadiddy. Like, I'm every woman. I deserve everything. <laughs> no, that's that's true. There's a lot of that going on with her as well. Um, I don't particularly like the Monica character. And, and and a big part of it is that, like, she's budget Tony to me. But, like, um, uh, but, yeah, but season two. So season two, like you said, uh, all this stuff happens. And season two ends with Maya and, with Maya and Darnell for it really being over with them. Because he's seeing another woman now. And Joan doing what Joan always does. Um, and just all the, the women in a, in a very vulnerable, emotional place. So season two, good, bad, or basic, Em? Season two was good. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's still on a good trajectory. Um, we got to see a little bit less of Tony and Joan's drama and kind of branch out to interpersonal relationships. Like we got to see more of Joan and Maya's relationship evolve as well as Tony and Lynn's relationship when Lynn is her assistant temporarily. Um, 
we got to see, um, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, um, it's, I think it's, I think it's done very well. What about you? Same, you know, I love season two. I love the drama that happens in season two. I like, it's sad saying goodbye to Yvonne, but it's, but it's good. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, shout out to season two. So season three, season three is like brings the drama. This, season three is an yeah. epic season. Season three is where we meet Monica. Now, I know you think Monica's a budget Tony, but personally, I think Tony's a budget Monica because Monica's been rich her whole life. And she and she walks with that with that energy. Like she she treats she gives everybody that I could buy and sell you twice there. <laughs> See, but like rich people who've been rich are boring to me. Whereas, like, I always appreciate I always appreciate the the grit of a of a poor girl who manifested wealth into her life because I know that shit's not easy. Oh, I agree. I I mess with Tony in a very heavy way, but but like low key, Tony's not on Monica's level in regards to like just being comfortable with wealth, like. If you're in Monica's life, cool. If you're out of her life, that's cool too. Like she gives energy. Like you should be so lucky that I even gave you any attention. <laughs> she does. She's a very. She, she's like a. She's like very like rich, mean, aloof black girl, and it, just rich, mean black girl, which is always, which is, I always appreciate. I always like. I'm gonna be real. Right. I mean, I wish she was a little less mean, but I really, me- I really mess with her, her aura of confidence and self-assuredness. I just don't think enough black characters, enough black women characters, are written this way. Like you know, I think they're not written this way, like on predominantly black shows, because I think that's that's it, right? Right. Right. Be- because like you'll cause every cause I'll be real. Every time I get like a Monica or a Tony type character on a predominantly white show, like it rubs me the wrong way. Like Right, right. Like but when but when it's like but when there are enough characters of color or like there are um or it's a predominantly black show, I love a character like this. I love this archetype. It's always fun. It's always a fun time. Yeah, same. I mean, that those are my our feelings on the L word, right? Like, it's okay to have complex, gray, and even really messed up characters of, like, fill-in-the-blank, marginalized group, if that's what your principal cast is. If they're, right. like, the token character, and they're, like, a horrible human being, it's different. Like, it's, like, the, the writing has to be more deft uh, if they're the only if they're like the only type of person on the, on that show um well, season so, three season um, three well, there's so much stuff that happens in season three there's monica there's um oh my god there's monica ellis todd the ooh. wedding oh my god where are we starting let's talk about monica and ellis because they were really my favorite partners for william and jones so let's talk about it a little bit season three is the longest season it's 25 episodes long and it starts off in much the same way joan is still mad that she's single and she thinks she's losing it because when she goes out to the bar nobody asks for her number nobody gives her their number um maya and darnell are trying to work things out in marital counseling and she's hopeful for a bit because they backslide. She's hopeful that they'll get back together, but that ends up not being the case. 
Lynn is living with uh with William. Well, she's kind of that friend that kind of hops around uh from house to house and William's like you need to get another job. And um that's what's really happening right now um with everybody. Um um you know um uh Tony um uh, this this season we find out that Tony has been lying about her age because uh she's a year older than everyone because um you know I guess she was held back in school or something like that and it's something that she's insecure about um and uh she goes to see a plastic surgeon because uh for botox um the 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 plastic surgeon that she sees is the man who will become her eventual husband and he's like, you look perfect. Women are paying thousands of dollars to get your cheekbones, your lips, your breasts. Like, go to therapy. <laughs> Which is really good advice. <laughs> good advice. And you know what? Can we, can we stand an ethical plastic surgeon for a minute, please? I mean, true. like, honestly. Honestly. Like, because I, I remember when he said that, I was like, damn, like, that's real shit, though. Yeah. Like, Dr. Todd was like, listen, babe, like you look amazing. You look like a vision. Uh, seek help. Not from me though. <laughs> from another doctor, from another doctor a, a therapist or somebody. Um, um, it's, it's interesting because, um, we hear plastic surgeons all the time, like who have a very bad rap, like people like this surgeon exploited me looking back. There was nothing wrong with me. I went to him and I, I, and then I, you know, he, he, he was, he or she was willing to do this work on me. And yeah, there's some accountability there. You are the one who sought out the doctor. They did not seek you out, but I definitely think more doctors, more plastic surgeons need to be trained in spotting what body dysmorphia looks like and not feeding into it and feeding into it. Amen. Um, amen. I, I agree. Um, there's also this great like running gag this season with like William in this hot tub that everybody, everyone has like deep conversations and like William's hot tub. Yeah. I like the hot tub gag. I wish I'd kept it a little bit longer. It's it's really great. Oh, and then we also there's also Savad this season. So that happens. Savad! Let's talk about Lynn's man Savad. Yes. So the actor who plays Savad was actually her husband at this time. Yes. Before played- she dated before she married dude from uh uh Vampire the originals. Diaries. Yeah, she was married to this guy. And um Savad is a character who is celibate. And Lynn is a character who's known for being anything but celibate. She is a get it how you live, be free. Uh, as long as it's consenting, it's all good. L- Lynn doesn't know what a dry spell is. <laughs> right, right. But she's so into this man. And he's being celibate. And she's trying to be celibate. And she's doing things low-key to try to seduce him, like her very cutest outfits, uh, her, her, all her, her whims and her wiles, but he's not budging. And this is actually a really beautiful relationship for Lynn, but for obvious reasons, it doesn't last very long. Right. Savad played by, uh, the incomparable Saul Williams, um, incredible singer, songwriter, uh, punk legend, um, punk hard rock legend, uh, you should check out his music. It's if you're like into like punk rock and like metal and stuff, he he's like really great. Um, plays 
a poet to to Lynn. And I guess that's why they have a lot of great natural chemistry with each other. Um, because they were married at the time. Um, but they're but Lynn is yeah, Lynn is sort of pushed out of her comfort zone being in this relationship with with Savad and she she first meets him at like this poetry slam. And it's funny because like in fact she's like ha- she's not dating, but she's sleeping with another poet at the time who also frequents the same poetry slam. Mm-hmm. Uh this poet might be familiar to you. Uh he's he's kind of common. Yeah, um, <laughs> see what I did there. And um and in fact when she meets Savide, she's like and and the other poet guy that she's sleeping with comes up to her. She pretends like she's like never seen him in her whole life. <laughs> Cause she like and she like lies to him. She's like, oh yeah, like I'm celibate too. <laughs> right. And She's... it must be it can't be overstated. Like if we used to mess around, like don't claim me in public. Please. When you see me, especially with another man, don't speak. Don't speak. And then like he does the thing, and then like the poet like comment is the thing that men do that is so horrible when like they are like you know, sort of rebuffed. Like he then gets upstage at the poetry slam and he like reads a poem that he wrote about fucking Lynn. And I was just like, oh my God, men are ridiculous. That was the, that was the most that was the ugliest thing I've ever seen because you first of all, do y'all even think this shit through when you do it? You're pretty much guaranteed that this person will never ever even touch you again. Like ever. Um but like the incomparable baby mother said don't give pussy to men who are not used to getting pussy because that pussy is going to be everybody's business. <laughs> and true. that's what happened. He really put her on blast in front of an entire crowd um, for no reason. No but so that takes it in stride. He's very zen. He's very chill. He's very relaxed. I love this man's whole vibe. He's probably the only one of the men from Girlfriend's Run start to finish who I was like, that's an attractive man. I would like to be with that man. Like, of all of them. <laughs> Same. I will say Saul Williams in this, like, moment is pro- was at, like, his peak. Like, he just looked good. He looked like he smelled really good. Like, he smells like sandalwood and shea butter. Like, yeah. he looks like he just, like, feels good. Shout out to you, Saul. You did that. That was your moment. <laughs> He d- he really did, and then you know he like takes it all in stride. He's like, oh, is that your little, your bitter fuck fuck buddy? That's fine. We can still be together. And he never throws this in Lynn's face or tries to penalize her for it. So we already know he's he's on a level operating very differently from the average man already. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and you know the relationship fizzles out, but it's never anything bad. Never. It's never anything bad. Meanwhile, Tony starts to realize that there could be more to this plastic surgeon who turned her away, Dr. Todd Garrett. She keeps running into him. They have this weird banter with lots of sexual tension and energy. And uh, eventually they start dating this season. Um, it's really interesting to watch because they couldn't be more different. But... Um, and uh, uh, initially, Tony rejected him because of his height, right? Like, he's shorter than her. Yeah. But then she remind she remembered that he's a doctor, so she got her mind right. 
Listen, but you know what? But then the show. Okay, so then this is this is an issue I have with the show. <laughs> so Todd is a Jewish plastic surgeon in Los Angeles, and then the show's like, oh, but he's broke, and I was just like, flag on the play, flag on the play, flag on the play. Yeah, they're like, he has a, not broke, broke, but like he's like drowning in student loan debt. But I'm like, yeah, that also doesn't make any sense to me at all. Sense to me at all. Like, you're telling me that a plastic surgeon in Los Angeles has no fucking money? Like, wait, stop. Right. I mean, you don't find this out until after they're married. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, like he 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 hid this from Tony. And I think that if you wanted to add friction to their relationship, this was the most unrealistic way to do it. I agree. Because it just doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. It makes zero sense. Okay. So let's talk about Let's talk about the saga of Joan and Ellis because it will it will matter at the at the end of the season. Joan falls for this actor she meets at the gym named Ellis. All's well and dandy. They have this amazing vibe, this amazing connection, um, and like they're good with each other. Like they they vibe well, but um, he is preserving a bachelor image in public. So like when he, when it's come comes time for movie premieres and stuff, he'll take her with him, and I'll I use take her with him loosely. She cannot walk the carpet with him, and she cannot sit next to him. <clears throat> yeah, like right, he does kind of like, and the and what makes what Ellis does particularly bad is because like he sets it up, he sets her up as if like it's not like he's honest from the from jump, like from when they meet, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's not like hey we can't be seen together. I've got to I'm I want to I'm trying I want to project this image because like it helps my career in this way. Like is that okay with you? He sets it up as if like oh baby like it's gonna be our first time being public together. Are you excited? And like gets her like the limo and the dress and then his pub- and then he comes in and he's like oh by the way like we can't be seen together. It's so ugly. Right, right. And things come to a head when he finds out that his ex-girlfriend is pregnant with his child, right? Right. And it's particularly bad because they were already on the verge of, like, Joan and Ellis by that point were already on, like, had just, like, they were on the verge of a breakup. They had, like, kind of broken up and just gotten back together again. Right. And then she finds out that, like, the the girlfriend is... They both find out that the girlfriend is pregnant. Right. And that completely makes Joan fall apart. Yep. Um, then there's Maya. Um, her relationship isn't much better. Uh, they find Her cousin Ronnie and his... Um, boyfriend Peaches um, see Darnell at Red Lobster with another woman and she finds out that Darnell's having an affair with a woman named Cecily. So she figures, okay, we're even now. So she moves back to their house and the relationship just continues to disintegrate and she eventually moves out and gets her own apartment. But like this relationship that they've kind of been dragging, you know, on its last legs comes to a close this season. Um... Meanwhile, this is 
uh, this season also sets the tone for what Monica's and William's relationship is going to look like. She's very direct um, and very abrupt. And he hides things from her often. <laughs> One of the first things he hides from her is the fact that he quit the firm. He quit the law firm. Right. He quits the law. And like, granted, William quits the law firm for a really good reason. He he and Joan are basically like the only, not basically, they are the only two black people at their law firm. And they've been working hard for a very, very long time. And Joan less so because Joan, we, we find out that Joan's never really been that invested in her career. But William in particular has always, his is not like Joan. He has always been very invested, very serious about his career, very much wanting to move forward, wanting and doing the work that constitutes that. And he, they, and they are both, and so there's an opening for senior partner and they are both passed over. Um, and, and one of them thinks that they're going to get senior partner because like, they hear through the grapevine that specifically that the senior partners need to be diverse, diversified, like, like because all the senior partners are white. So they're thinking that naturally one of them is going to get the promotion until the day that it's announced it's doctor, not doctor, but Sharon Farley Esquire. <laughs> this right. random... By diversity, they meant women. <laughs> white women. Uh, well, no, she is a black woman. She's right. just light skinned. Um, oh, right, right, right. Her. Okay. Right. Yeah. So they go and that's, that's what adds the insult to injury is that they go out of their way to headhunt to a completely different place and find a completely different black woman who's never been at the firm to then hire and uh, become senior partner. And William is, William and Joan are incensed, rightfully. Right. And you really outsource the promotion? Who does that? Right? Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and when and they have drinks, you know, they do the the drink and then they, they go out for drinks and they they get wasted and they're like, it's ridiculous. Like that's ridiculous. Like one of us should have been hired. It's only right, like how much longer and the their the place is racist on top of all of it how much longer are we going to do this? And it's the classic story of like, oh, I thought we were just drunk when we said we were going to quit <laughs> situation. <laughs> but William was serious and he he stands up for himself and, and, and he quits. And he does not tell Monica. He waits uh, until they're in Italy <laughs> to mm -hmm. tell Monica. And, the, and it's particularly egregious because this whole time... Monica has been really investing herself into their relationship. I mean, they, I mean, part of the reason that William and Monica break up beforehand is because Monica was making him host the office Christmas party at his home. And William felt guilty because he had already promised to be Santa for Jabari and William and and William's like, okay, like, I know we're doing this, but I, I have to go be Santa for Jabari. And Monica's like, you need to make a choice. It's either me and this party or Sant and Jab or Jabari and Santa. And Monica says something really nasty. She's like, what, what is that little street rat going to give you or something? And 
I really respect William in that moment because he's like, no, like I, I gotta be Santa for like my my friend's kid. Like I have to. Like Yeah, we love we love a dependable king, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like um so but they do eventually get back together and and he doesn't tell her <laughs> and it's it's banana nuts, but but um it's it's yeah. Right. That whole situation was wild. But I think it was so great that William really made this a boundary that she could not cross. Because had he allowed her, had he allowed her to push him on this, that would have been such a horrible tone for their eventual marriage, right? Which had so many problems already. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he starts dating Sharon, which I think is a good palate cleanser for him, right? Right. And Sharon is like a... Goofy. Sharon is who Joan would be in like 20, 20 to 30 years. Right, exactly. Um, and in this season, uh, Tony and Todd also get engaged. And this is where <sighs> bad they get friend married. Vibes. Yeah, they get engaged, they get married this season, but bad friend vibes come out, right? And it's so bad, Maya and Lynn call her out on it first, right? Oh, They're I was like, gonna say Ellis calls her out on it first. Oh, right, 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 right. I was, I guess within the friend group then. Yeah, Ellis calls her out on it first. Um, and then Maya and Lynn call her out on it. And this didn't have the impact that it needed to have. Um, um, you know, m- m- now, Tony, without question, made Joan her maid of honor. That's her oldest friend. Even though she has other friends. There's a friend, Reese, from college, who's like a frenemy with uh, Joan, uh, uh, Kimberly Elise plays that character, by the way. We'll talk more about it in a minute. She has she has Lynn, who she's known from co- since college. She has an older sister, but she chooses Joan. And Joan chooses this moment to stop being the type A personality that's always on the ball and to consistently let Tony down during every step leading up to the altar. Right. I will say that like this, this, this sequence uh, is really skillfully written because everything that leads up to all the events of the wedding is planted all the way back from like episode uh, 16 and the wedding episodes are 24 and 25, but it's at like episode 16 that they like start all of this shit that's happening with Joan emotionally and how Joan is like low key sabotaging herself, Tony, and their friendship over this wedding, and most importantly, over how Joan feels jealousy that Tony is getting married before her. Right, but it's like, y'all are the same age. In fact, Tony's a year older, right? Which we learned earlier this season. Tony's in lying about her age. She's a year older than Joan. It was always a possibility that she was going to get married before you. It was always a possibility. The deeper question is that, does Joan think she is smarter, prettier, more deserving than Tony? I think Joan thinks she's a better person, definitively. Mm. Right, and I think that too. But in the way that she behaves, we see that she is most emphatically not. Right. Because she finds a way of making the entire engagement process about her. And every time she disappoints Tony or lets Tony down, 
it's because she's dealing with her issues. But it's like you have other friends you can talk to about that and still show up as your best self for 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 Tony, right? Right. You can talk to Mai, you can talk to Lynn, you can talk to William. Um you can talk to your boyfriend himself. Um and 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 get this under control. So it comes to a head when she shows up late for like like uh Tony had gotten this whole thing right where they're like we are going to go to uh we're gonna go on this like pre wedding retreat thing right it's not a right. rehearsal dinner or rehearsal whatever we're gonna have a whole re- rehearsal luxury spa thing set up right. And, and, it's, and it's very Tony. It's very regimented. It's at some, like, really glamorous, like, ho- Hollywood Hills home. Um, and they, it's, like, there's, like, a schedule. It's, like, 8 a.m. pedicures. And then mimosas at, like, 10. And then, you know, bachelorette games at, like, 12. Like, it's it's a whole thing. Right, right. So all of this goes down. And... Like, Jones, like, legit misses, like, the first half of it, dealing with Ellis's stuff, right? Yeah, and, like, the stuff with Ellis is stuff that, like, isn't gonna change. Right. And that, like, she actually didn't have to deal with, so she just causes this drama just to do it. Right. He's still having a baby, and you're still deciding to be with him. What has changed? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's There's changed. Nothing fixed here, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> so that that all happens, um, and you know, and it must be said because I we we didn't talk about this, but this season, Lynn meets her birth mother, Sandy, um, and learns that she's a documentary filmmaker, and she develops an interest in documentaries as well. As a result, it must be said. That Tony, during the midst, in the midst of her engagement, still found time to go with Lynn to Virginia, right? To mm-hmm. find Sandy and get Sandy to help her. Joan didn't go. Maya didn't go. Tony went. Tony, who has her real estate business and a wedding to plan, still managed to be there for her friend. <laughs> right. And Joan just doesn't off of just, just because she wants to sit there. And argue with Ellis some more about the fact that he's having a baby with another woman, which she already knew, which you at least told him, at least right. told him <laughs> that you were okay with. So, so so, what's going on, Joan? And it's interesting because, like, in the episode before, Joan is, every time Joan sort of, because Ellis makes reasonable plans to start, you know, co-parenting. Because the, the girlfriend has the baby. And Ellis is making plans to co-parent and to, to find, to get with the child and, and when the child, when he's going to be there and when he's not. And Joan naturally, you know, Joan's all over it. And Ellis is like, are you doing all of this because you're jealous that your friend is getting married? Because like, we've already discussed this. And she's so shook Mm. that somebody would say that to her face. (laughs) I mean, call it out. Let's call it out, sweetie. Call it out. Um, um, and so, so this the everything that's building to this wedding. So, um, and and like I said, this is skillfully written because even in the episodes before, like, you know, Joan finds every reason to be upset with this wedding. Like, 
when they're getting the bridesmaids dresses, she's, you know, Joan feels a type of way about the bridesmaids dresses that Tony picks out. Like, and then she shows up late to like the bridal appointment. Like she's really just not, she's, Joan is so checked out. Yeah. Her head's not in the game and we're not going to act like any of her grievances are real. Like we mentioned, Tony planned everything down to a T. She's a working woman. Joan has a job. Maya has a job. Uh, you know, uh, Lynn is trying to explore her roots and learn about her birth mother. Everyone's busy, right? She planned this down to a T. And we're not going to act like Tony has bad taste either. There was absolutely nothing wrong with those bridesmaids dresses. Right. They're actually really pretty dry bridesmaids dresses. They're like on the verge of like mint and teal. It's a very good color, actually. Um, good on all of them which is saying a lot but i also want to add that like if that's your friend and she wants you to dress like if if she wants you to put on that dress that bjork wore to the to the oscars you know the dress i'm talking about the swan dress you're gonna put it on with a smile on your face (laughs) and it's not your (laughs) and that's the thing that also gets me it's like bitch like it's time to do whatever the fuck tony wants to do like Tony is a very self-absorbed person and it's all about Tony and like that's fine and the the usual dynamic of the group is that if Tony's sort of like being irrational like in terms of directing everything back to herself then they all just kind of ignore her and move on but every but like this is her wedding like everybody needs and everybody gets on board to like whatever Tony wants to do except Joan this is actually the most rational that Tony's ever been when it's about her, right? She's not making ridiculous demands and she's not having off the wall expectations either. Like she's constantly checking in with their schedules and making sure that they can come to this, that, and the third. The thing is, it's not like she planned this without Joan's schedule in mind. Joan just lets everything take a back seat. The whole situation was completely uncalled for. And, you know, Tony holds it together, but ultimately she just tells, uh, she just tells to- uh, uh, Joan, you're, you're out of my wedding. You're not welcome. Right. Right. Which is when it happens, it's really dramatic and it's, it's, it's hard, but it's deserved. At least for me, I feel like it's watching it to deserved. Right, right. Um, there is also, um, like, uh, in that ling- lingering in that season finale episode, um, Savad also finds out that uh, Lynn and William were briefly married, that they've hooked up, and pretty much tells her, you need to move out of William's house. Like, I'm not cool with it. And, like, high key, I agree with him. Because if my man was living with a female roommate that he had slept with, I wouldn't be comfortable with it either. Oh, yeah. Like, that. that's very, like, it's a very vulnerable moment for Savad. And, and he's very um, open. And he, and I really appreciated that. I appreciated that from, like, the writers. It's It's rare, like, to see, like, a man, like, sort of voice his insecurities openly in that way. Like, without, like, he just, like, he just voices his insecurities of, like, I'm insecure that you're doing this thing versus just, like, taking an action that's really toxic. 
Um, right, right. Or just he, assuming that that um, you know, she's been lying to him this entire time, right? Because some guys would be like, Oh, so you've been sleeping with him this entire time, haven't you? <laughs> no. And 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 it's funny, like even and William, he and William have a conversation and he's like, No, like really Lynn and I are just are just friends, like truly and honestly, like, you know, and William is like, you know, I, I kind of want her out of the house. It's it's really the dog. <laughs> William is like, I just, I really love the dog. I just want to keep the dog. Right, right. That all comes out in the wash. And I think it's a good thing. Like you said, it's good writing. The season ends with the big wedding. Tony cuts Joan out of the wedding. Um, and... She then, uh, and then her and Todd have a blow up because Todd kind of comes to her and he's like, okay, I know you're mad at Joan right now, but be real with yourself. You're not, there's no way you're cutting her out of the wedding. And she's like, of course, of course I'm fucking cutting her out of my wedding. Like, are you high? And from there it spirals into a fight and Todd just sort of walks off. So now it seems like nobody's getting married and Tony's feeling really embarrassed. But it all works out. This is a wedding after all. And all of our couples get back together. Tony and Todd get married. Joan and Ellis rekindle the relationship. Lynn moves out of um, Williams' house and, and Savad. Uh, Lynn and Savad work out their issue, which is that Lynn felt betrayed by him that he wrote a poem for Tony and Todd because she says, you know, we don't have sex. The way that you make love to me is with your poems. So everybody can get that from you. That makes me feel really cheap and in a way. And he listens to her and respects her and um, does not read the the poem that he wrote for Tony and Todd's wedding and then Maya and Tony's brother, you know, hook up. So all's well that's en- that ends well. Season uh, three, M, good, bad, or basic. I thought season three was quite good. Looking back, it was clearly not the beginning, but the middle of the end for Tony and Joan, right? But I think it was so masterfully written, like you said. Nothing came as a surprise. It was build up to all of the drama. Yes, you know, I agree. I, I'm going to give season three a solid, solid, very good. You know, like season three gave me the laughs. It brought the drama. And um, I like I said before, this, this stuff with building up to this wedding is very, very skillfully written. Um, there also season three is when we get to learn way more about... Tony and Tony's background and where she comes from. We meet, there's an incredible episode where Tony goes home and we meet her sister, uh, played by the incredible Yvette Nicole Brown, um, and her mother, played by the incomparable Jennifer Lewis. But we find out that Tony is, like we said, she's very country. She's country. She's country from Fresno and um, grew up very poor, but not only just poor. Her mother was an alcoholic. 
a bad and, and a bad one and she was raised by her her sister uh and she and her sister come to this really beautiful under there's like an episode where she and her sister come to like a very beautiful understanding and her sister says something like who even gave you the idea that you could get out of this like town it was me like i raised you like have some respect for me appreciate what I did and it's really great and beautiful and and it deepens that Tony character in a way that I think was really necessary and needed and awesome so shout out to all the older sisters raising children that ain't theirs shout out to you and happy mother's day because you deserve it real real shit happy mother's day to y'all because y'all do a lot getting to know more about Tony's family I think was such a great aspect of season three because so many of the things that her character does are like defense mechanisms or surface level affectations right but like Mm -hmm. why is she like that and we didn't really get to know until this pre-wedding uh situation what her background was and you know the vulnerabilities that she's carrying around with her i think it made the character a lot richer so even with even if that was the only thing that season three brought us i would still think it was a good season Right. And and I just want to say those these sequences and these lines are storylines are flawlessly acted by uh, uh, Jill Marie Jones and in company. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, I do. I do want to give um, a shout out to Saul Williams again one more time, because I, I believe the last we see of him is at the beginning of season four. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But um. I, it would have been interesting to see what he would have done as a season regular if him and, and Lynn had gone the distance. So let's go into season four. Season four, 24 episodes. Like, like the, the, the show is really like doing numbers at this point. People are talking about girlfriends. And I refuse to believe that it was just black women watching the show. I think other women were watching the show, even if out of nothing more than curiosity. Yeah, we're watching. It's okay. You can say that. Right, you can say that. It's, you know, there's there's some there was some useful stuff on here. Um season 1, we open with um we open with our our favorite four, our fab four, you know, doing what they do. But season 4 also immediately introduces us to Brock, Ellis's agent, who will be the next of Joan's boyfriends. So Brock is positioned as Joan's major love interest throughout for the duration of the series. He is the one who, well, I guess because they don't work out, he's the one that got away, right? Like he's he's her soulmate. He she calls him her true love. She meets Brock. Now she and Ellis are in a good place. Everything's fine. She and the stranger get caught in a rainstorm and they duck under a doorway. She sees him, their eyes connect, they're making out. It's all very romantic, except the fact that she has a boyfriend. And then she later finds out that the stranger that she kissed in the rain is her boyfriend's agent. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. Only Joan. Only Joan could have manifested mm-hmm. such fuckery and shenanigans. <laughs> imagine imagine you kiss a random dude in the rain and just happens to be someone who is working with and for your boyfriend can you imagine of all the people in all the rains in all of la (laughs) it don't even rain that often in la 
Right? It does not rain in Southern California. Like, it's not a true thing. It's ridiculous. So, uh, she and Brock literally declare their love for each other, you guys. Like, early and often. Um, uh, Brock, the only reason Brock doesn't sleep with her is because she's still with Ellis. So, she's like, I'm gonna leave him. I'll leave him, baby, today. Right now. You want me to call him? I'll leave him. Um, but then Ellis tells Joan that he loves her. Now, this is over a year into their relationship where the guy that she just met, Brock, who seems to be like everything she's been looking for, appears to be feeling everything that she's feeling and wants to be with her just like she wants to be with him. And it's like kismet. And so now she's, she goes, kind of goes back on her decision to break up with Ellis. Um, Savad is still trying to get Lynn to move out of William's house. Um, um, and he changes his mind about living with her and realizes that he does want to be the one living with her. Uh, Tony learns about Todd's astronomical debt. Which doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make sense. She leaves him for lying and marrying her under false pretenses and goes to stay with Joan. And, um, um... And uh, Maya, who's now working as William's assistant, she's not Joan's assistant anymore, is kind of doing a horrible job. She's too comfortable because she was William's friend first, right? So instead of doing her job, she just reads self-help books all day long. Right. Uh, but it's, it is for, you know, she yeah, she reads self-help books, but that's where she also gets sort of the idea to to go back to school and 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 eventually write a self-help book of her own. Right. I mean, this is just her manifesting her destiny, but he doesn't see it that way. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, you're slacking, girl. You're slacking. What are, what are you doing? What What's, are you doing? What really happening? So all of these things are happening. Like we said, all of these things that are happening to the other characters are happening to them. Everything that's happening in Joan's life, she's actively making it happen. She's actively cheating, choosing to cheat on Ellis with Brock instead of just leaving Ellis to be with this man she wants to be with. You know that's what you want anyway, sis. Right. <laughs> just be like, with him. Just be with him. Just leave him. Um, she does eventually leave Ellis and get with Brock, only to discover that Brock does not want children. Right. So this is one of the things, this is one of the risks you take when you move too fast with someone, right? Instead of getting to know their character, their morals, their goals, hopes, dreams, aspirations, and just like letting chemistry be your guide, things like this happen. You can be all in and having caught feelings for someone who is not on the same page as you. And he's nowhere near being on the same page. I will say in Joan's defense, most people are going to assume that you want children or that you already have children. So I feel like if you don't want children, you need to lead with that, with potential partners. Am I wrong? Uh, I think, like, yeah, I think so. I, I can I can understand. Yeah. Because people who don't want kids also are out there, but they're probably not going to be the majority, at least not the vocal majority, right? Right. It's hard because I think the people who are really, really firm and like not wanting children are, I think, I think they are upfront about it, but I think what gets, I think what, what get, what, where people get got are the people who 
in reality don't want any children, but because like we're so socially have a lot, we're so heavily socialized to want children, they think that they're on the fence, but like, no, they, they just don't want the kids. Right. And for me on the fence is a no, it's not like you can go halfway on having children. Like we'll have a child half the time or we'll have half a child. Right. (laughs) Like on the fence is no, no is no. Only yes is yes. (laughs) Those same consent rules apply. If you need to be coerced into it, it's a no. At least right now, it's a no. Maybe you'll change your mind later. Maybe not. But I need to take it at face value right now. And this is something that Joan has problems with, right? She has problems taking her partners at face value. And Brock is no exception. She stays with him after learning this devastating news, believing that one day he'll change his mind. Which, I mean... Mm. That's a gamble. That's a gamble. And it's a big one. It's a bigger one when you're a woman, too. Like, like, yes, we have time. You don't have to have a child in your 20s. But you have time is not the same as you have forever. There is an expiration date on those eggs, honey. They're, they're not going to be good forever. So that's not time you can afford to waste with a man who's definitely, who's told you no. Hasn't even hit you with a maybe. He said no. <laughs> he said no girl and then she's like but you're so good with your nieces and nephews he's like yeah because those are other people's kids (laughs) right and his and all his reasoning makes sense he's like you know i had aunts and uncles that were childless when i was growing up and i stayed with them in the summers and they taught me they were the best people and they taught me how to be the best version of myself and and I guess he's he tells her that to be like, just because like you don't have children doesn't mean you can't in some way parent. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's super true and that's really real. But you know, Joan, she wants those kids a hundred percent of the time, I guess. Right. And here's the thing, his his perspective is valid and that's what he wants. Her perspective is valid too. And I really wish more people be were less afraid of being alone that they would stop trying to find compromise where it doesn't exist or they would stop trying to make incompatible people fit into their lives. Let it go, honey. You're not compatible. He wants children he doesn't want children. You do want children. That is not an area that you can compromise on. Ever. Right. No, and that's like, that's definitely, that's definitely very, very correct. Um, so, something that, something else that happens, Tony and Todd's marriage um, disintegrates very quickly. Right. It starts with him lying about his debt, and then it seeps into her basically um, uh, um, being called a gold digger. Um, Now, mind you, um, this is after her ring is repossessed right off of her finger. Right, which is kind of embarrassing. Right, uh, like the ring is repossessed. Like his debt is even bigger than what he's saying. Right, they're repossessing your wife's wedding ring. Yeah, that's a b- b- big issue. But she gets labeled 
even by her friends, it's a gold digger for not wanting to stick it out. But it's like, I understand where she's coming from. Financial security matters. If he didn't think it mattered, he wouldn't have lied in the first place, number one. Number two, someone who knows, who's been poor, understands how easy it is to get back there if you're mismanaging your finances. She's not wrong for being angry at Todd. Todd is wrong for withholding this information. Like, even if she, you had told her this in the engagement phase and she left you, take the L. You don't lie to someone to get them to agree to marry you. Right. And my, and I guess an, an, another thing of mine is that, like, of why I guess I don't think Tony's unreasonable is that, like, Tony's always been who she's been. She's right. never lied to anybody about who she is or what she values or in the things that matter to her. And money was always one of those things. Like, she's never sat out here and tried to be, I think, Joan, who passes her off as... who Joan tries to pass herself off as one way, but is in very much reality a different way. Tony has always been upfront and honest about, like, I'm materialistic. I want to be wealthy. I need to be taken care of. Like, and that's just what it is. Right, right. And Todd says this, right? Like, throughout the courting phase, Todd is showering her with gifts. Um, She makes it clear up front that she cares a lot about money, and that's how she has a career that she has. And this is important to note, too. Tony has a career. She wasn't living in a hut or in a shack waiting for some man to save her. She was in a good place financially before she married Todd. But now that they're legally wed, she is legally tied to his debts. Right, which she didn't anticipate. You know, she, she like myself, thought she was marrying a Los Angeles plastic surgeon. Right. What a shit ton of money. Like, and, and, you know, thinking about it now, like, Tony's not unreasonable. Like, I would expect somebody like that I, too, would expect somebody like that to be able to buy, rent, like, a house for $10,000 a day, uh, in lo- like, for my wedding. I would expect somebody like that to be making the kind of figures to, you know, charter a yacht from, like, my birthday with my girlfriends and be able to charter it for, like, $20,000 a day or whatever. So, um, you know, Tony went into this marriage thinking she was going to upgrade again in lifestyle while maintaining the lifestyle she's always had. And somehow that, and she was lied to. Right. She was lied to. She was deceived and it doesn't get better because he never really apologizes for lying about his finances. Right. He hits her with the, I was so in love with you. I thought I had control over this. I didn't think it mattered in the long run. Literally everything, but I'm sorry I lied. Right, and then and then ultimately he blames her. He's like, "You're you're too materialistic. You're too selfish. You're too right. this. You're too that." And it's like, sure, and and listen, like sure, but like she never hid those things from you. Number one, number two, her your debt did not start when she entered your life. Wait, a scapegoat. You did not acquire that debt trying to court that woman. That debt followed you right out of school, long before you knew Tony Childs existed. So what's the truth? What is the truth? What's the truth? Um, Like, 
be like, you know, be real. She said she wanted to be rich and aspire to wealth and have somebody take care of her in, in a really expensive way. And that's, that's what it's been. So if you knew that you weren't doing that, you should have just been like, well, you can be really cute fuck buddies or something. Right, right. And you know what? I think, too, I'm going to give Tony a little bit of credit. I don't think she would have left Todd, I, but I don't think she would have married him when she did. But I think she probably would have done something like, you need to come up with a savings plan, and when you get the debt paid off, we can get married. Right, right. Well, yeah, so this, among with Tony's sort of self-absorption and selfishness, really plunges their marriage into chaos, uh, along with the debt. Um, Tony and Todd separate. Like, he goes all the way to New York to be a plastic surgeon on a reality TV show. Um, because that will take him out, uh, will help pay off some of their debts. Um, and it's all, you know, kind of just going until Tony finds out that she is pregnant. Right. Um, she wasn't trying to get pregnant. This is not a, like a keep a man baby. And he wasn't trying to get her pregnant either, but she becomes hopeful, right? That they can mend this. Um, um, uh, it's, uh, it, it could be, yeah, they can mend the marriage. Right, right. So that happens. She's pregnant this season and their marriage is tested even further. Um, she also learns this season that Greg had a message for her before the wedding and Todd didn't deliver it. Remember Greg, her great love? Yeah. When she cheated on her first fiance, Clay, with. Mm-hmm. And I get Todd being afraid to deliver this message because he probably knew, like we knew, that if Greg was an option, she might not have married him. Right. Greg, not the money, in my mind, is why Tony would have said no to him. No, exactly. Because um, Greg was always broke. Yeah, exactly. Um, he thinks that she still has feelings for Greg and he threatens to leave her if. Um, if she sees him, um, you know, she, she she basically tells Todd, you need to trust me. And honestly, with the hole he dug himself, it's the least he could do. It is. It's the absolute least he could do. Um, Tony's not a cheater. I mean, um, yeah, she cheated on Clay with, with Greg. But, like, she is taking this marriage more seriously than other, everyone's giving her credit for she is, and that's it. And that's something we'll talk about next episode when we get into season five, and then we we start this custody battle thing. It's really nuts to me how Tony starts to really ch- once the once the baby is born, absolutely none of her friend, absolutely none of the the women give Tony grace, give Tony any grace for being like a new mom and figuring out things like all new moms do. They all just sort of automatically support Todd. And I'm like, damn, where's the where's the grace? Where's the loyalty? Where's the where's the understanding from Girl, or, where's or the, the darkness? Why are we hyping up that a white man is gonna be a better parent to a biracial girl than her black mother? Please make it make sense. Right. There there's what such a lack are, are moving like this. <laughs> I there's need to avoid y'all. There, there's such a lack of empathy, and the, and the sh- and the girls treat her this way, and the show frames Tony this way, and I think that's what's even more upsetting is that the show allows Tony to be 
to be framed in a really ugly way that that doesn't particularly make sense. Sorry, say say that last part again. Sorry. Oh, um, I was saying that the what really bothers me is that the show is that the girls not only treat this Tony this way, but they frame Tony that way. Um, that Tony deserves to have her child taken away from her, uh, even though she's actively working and changing and and it's something that's really upsetting to me that the show frames tony as like deserving of these bad things um it doesn't sit right with my spirit yeah maya and joan of i mean maya and lynn eventually get on board and they speak on her behalf at the custody hearing right Mm. but for the most part she's like suffering in silence but yeah we can talk about that next episode when we discuss season five but let's talk Uh, more about season four and what happens in season four right like Darnell so, is dating seriously. He's dating this woman named Lena. Uh-huh. And, uh, like, it's serious. Like, he's he's into her. It's not just a fling. Uh, I believe that in season five, they they even get to the altar, right? Um, he even makes it to the, as far as the altar with Lena. Um, but yeah, like, they almost, yeah, that he get, they get engaged, but then it, it falls apart because on a drunken, during his bachelor party, he reveals that he's still in love with Maya. Um, this season, we meet Ronald, we meet Ronnie and Peaches, Maya, Maya's uh, cousin, and um, uh, one of the workers who ro- works at Ronald's salon. Um, oh, Peaches is Ronnie's boyfriend, too. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, so, yes, Ronnie and, and Peaches, his boyfriend. Um... They are, like I said, Sex in the City. They're also our, they're our token, super stereotypical gay characters of the the show. Um, there's also, but this is also the season where Maya writes the essay that will become uh, the book. Oh hell yes! <laughs> well, first of all, I love that title, and. I always saw it for Maya. Like, Maya's the one who wanted more and was actively seeking more um, from her life. So I knew that she was going to be successful. Like, I was never worried about Maya. But, you know, like we mentioned when we talked about season one and two, she could not have gotten to the place if she had not broken up with Darnell. Who he was then was holding her back. He was. Like, I'm not sad that they eventually reunite but when they reunite they're both very different people he's got some ambition and she's got some success and it works before he was holding her back and he was perfectly content with uh the way that he was living and the way his career looked at the time and it wasn't doing them any good right right like she needed that time apart from him to grow and to go back to school and to do this, you know, do this essay that would that would become Oh Hell Yes. We love that for her. We love that for her. Um, also, Maya and Lynn get closer this, this season as well, which is nice. We never really got to see them interact one-on-one heavily prior to this. Um, 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 you know... Um, uh, Tony actually really shows up for Joan in a major way this season. Um, Joan is spending Valentine's Day alone and being her best friend. Tony knows she's upset about this. So she just follows her around all day long trying to cheer her up. 
um, which was actually quite sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, the season, I feel like everybody is kind of kind of moving forward. Tony even starts seeing a therapist this season. Right, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, she, at the prompting of, of Beverly Johnson, Tony starts going to, to therapy, which is really, really funny. Um, so the season ends with a, a sort of two-part finale, New York bound, um, New York bound and New York unbound. So, uh, we get Maya has since, you know, expanded her essay into a full book and it has been, uh, bought by like a publisher, a real publisher who wants to publish her book and she is over the moon as she should be, um, about her, her first published published book and she's in New York meeting with with the team to see how they're going to market and uh her note and her rewrites and and all the sort of you know exciting first time author stuff um we get uh one of the worst plot developments to ever happen in the history of the show which is the the William and Joan kiss, which I'm not excited about to talk about next time. It's horrible. William and Joan is horrible. It's the worst decision. Even Truly watching the worst. Even rewatching it back, I was like, is it was it crack? Like, I don't even see how this came to be. Yeah, there's only so much that drugs can do. I don't know what spurred this, but it had to be stronger than drugs. I it it just did. Um and then Lynn meets her her birth father. Lynn Lynn has like a heart to heart with her birth mother and her her birth mother and her birth mother's um mother and they talk about how they paid Lynn's father to go away. Mm-hmm. Um when she was born and so they still have his information. So Lynn goes to to meet him. She does not reveal to him who she is yet, but she does go and meet him. And that is how we wrap up season four. Season four. Good, bad, or basic. I thought season four was quite good. Um, the stuff with Tony, I I mean, again, you guys, this was really lame. You guys making Todd in horrible astronomical debt. I don't believe it. Um, but Otherwise, season four, I think, worked really well. A flesh out the characters more. And I really love, I can, look, I didn't think of it much at the time, but I really love that Lynn really got to meet both of her birth parents. This is a privilege that, well, a right that is withheld from so many adoptees. And I'm glad, I'm glad that she got that closure and that, um, that community and connection that she needed. Um, I could have done without William and Joan forever but otherwise very very good season what do you think same i think season four season three and season four are probably the strongest seasons um they're very good i enjoyed both of them i think they both so season three and season four is also where i think you there's like a slight change in the tone of how the episodes are are shot and also how they're like edited. Um, 
we get that laugh track way less often, which thank God. Um, and they start to lean more into those dramatic moments that I think is really great and positive and, and um, all these stories of these characters feel uh, even if they're not satisfying, I'm, I'm living for the drama. So, so it's a good, it's a good for me. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's great. The show is well paced out and although I don't like that it's classified as just a sitcom because I think it's deeper than that, I do think that the running time of the episodes gives us just enough. I don't think the show could be as well done if it were longer. This gives us just enough to chew on while still making the show feel enjoyable, which I, I really liked. Right. I agree with that. I agree. Um, so yeah, this is girlfriends. Girl, my girlfriends, my girlfriends. They do thick and thin. My girlfriends, my girlfriends. They do everything. My girlfriends. Yeah, that season, uh, that that opening theme is so interesting in retrospect because like. 99% of shows don't have opening themes anymore. So right. like, when I rewatch, I'm like, oh, wait, you guys stopped the show for an opening song? Whoa, <laughs> take me back, take me back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a it's a great one. It's another it's another great Pantheon Black classic uh, opening theme song. I fuck with it really heavy. have it folks this is everything that we think made the first half of girlfriends good bad basic and so relatable if you'd like to check out the series girlfriends is currently streaming on netflix if you've enjoyed this episode of the good the bad the basic be sure to share it with your friends and if you're a member of our patreon be sure to check out our girlfriends playlist tune in next week as we keep the strong female lead season going with part two of our discussion of this landmark series you don't want to miss out on this conversation the Good, The Bad, The Basic is currently streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to tune into our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good the bad the basic where all of our weekly episodes debut if you love this sort of content and want more become a show producer and patron over on patreon you can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material until next time bye everyone